Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget, in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, gang. Welcome to another episode of The Label Podcast with me, Alice, and my wonderful co-host, Lucy. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, How are you today? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I am not too bad, thank you. Still a bit, like croaky in the throat Mm -hmm. but i'm doing okay we had to go on a little recording hiatus didn't we because uh alice has been suffering from the uh covid and uh lost her voice temporarily for a little while didn't you so uh if you say a little while it was about four and a half five days like of literally not really being able to speak at all and then even then, I've been like, sounding like I've been smoking 40 a day. For 10 there was years. a little bit of panic when I spoke to you on Monday. You were like, hello, how are you? And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. I, Alice, yeah, is now, Alice is now known as Alistair. Yeah, I was slightly concerned. That was just what I was sounding, I will sound like forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's fine. It was really funny. I was saying to, because um, I'm back at work and stuff now, I was talking to somebody um else who I work with who happened to have COVID around the same time mm. as me. Mm. And she was like, oh, I've, I haven't had it at all yet. And I was like, no, neither did I. Neither did I. And she said, um, she went, oh, yeah, I'm starting to think I was really special. And like, like you know, the government wouldn't call me in to test my blood because I was like, <laughs> I was never going to catch it. And they were going to be like, oh, she's, you know, we finally found the, the cure. It's in Michelle. It's been there the whole time. And I was like, I don't think I was quite that naive. I thought I was just lucky. I, well, you but... think, I don't know what it says about my social life, but I haven't had it either. So I, it must be that I just must stay inside talking to you on a podcast. All oh, the well, time. I'm I'm pretty sure that I, well, I know I got it from my husband, David, and I'm pretty sure David got it because he went to the cinema by himself. Right. So um, it's not anything to do with having a social no. life. It's just generally leaving the <laughs> yeah. house. That's that. This is me now until twenty twenty five. Like, like yeah. not going anywhere. It's fine. It's fine. Catch you back though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good to it's good to not be in bed just shivering. So. It's all right, gang. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I kept te- I kept messaging my friends and just being like, I did not know it was possible to be quite this sweaty. No, it's that cl- that whole cold, being cold and hot at the same time is horrible. Yeah, that's when you know yeah. you're ill, mm. and when your skin hurts was... as well. <laughs> symptom. Just like Doctor Bob yeah, here, just... you know, from the Muppets, <laughs> like me. I know when you're sick. I know when you're really sick. Oh, I don't know. So uh, <laughs> back to um, podcast stuff, and not just you know me being gross and <laughs> ill. Uh, we are doing this week, we're doing a uh, another fabled episode, aren't we? We are indeed, yes, we are. Um, so there's a, a little bit of story, to, a little bit of backstory for me personally before we start this. 
if you're listening to the podcast, you won't know this, but Alice, when she sits in her office and is talking to me, on the back wall of her office, there is what I, what is, until recently I realised, is a picture of Alice from Alice in Wonderland. Um, I think that I need a similar picture of our um, main protagonist of the story of this <laughs> this week's fable, and you will see why as I get into it. Um so shall we shall we get started? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm really good. excited about this, by the way. Really excited. I have I'm I'm really looking yeah. forward to this. I think it's a it's it's a bit out of the left field in terms of disability. I've made it stick. I've made it stick because it it will <laughs> stick. It will. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can make anything all about us. And disability if we yeah. want to can't we sometimes leave? when i hear about a really fascinating person I'm like oh were they, were they disabled in any way shape or form <laughs> <laughs> um, right so let's get started so written by hans christian anderson in 1836 20 years after pride and prejudice was published and 20 years before moby dick this fairy tale is in unlike any other myths and legends we've featured on fabled this is a story about wanting to be seen as equals um, in this episode, I... Sorry, before, I was going to say, before you go on, Lou, yeah. you haven't told us who you're talking no, about. No, there is a reason, because I'm building up to it. You're oh, right. so <laughs> oh, sorry, have I completely ruined the attention? And you know you know what we're talking about as well. I do know what we're talking about, but the audience... No, works, exactly. But it's fine. We can edit all of this <laughs> out, and you can just go back to building the tension. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> uh, in this episode of Fables, we're going to be looking at the original story of... The Little Mermaid, which is surprisingly gruesome, as well as the non-frightening sing-song version that Disney gave us, because I still maintain <laughs> that part of your world is an absolute banger, by the way. Um, so I think you said when we were talking about this, uh, we're talking mostly about the 1989 version, because they're, they're doing a, a live action, but it's not out No, it's yet. not out until uh, the autumn of next year. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. So yeah, I am talking about the 1989 red-haired little fish girl that is Ariel, <laughs> the Little Mermaid. Um, surprisingly, when I was doing my because re- I have done both stories because I'm not just some sort of fool. When I was re- when I was reading about the Hans Christian Andersen uh, Little Mermaid version of the little well original story of the Little Mermaid, the Little Mermaid in that story hasn't got a name. She, right. She's referred to as the mermaid. I see. So, uh, so I, main character doesn't get a no, name. Uh, not as far as I could tell. I see. So, if, for any of you who don't know the story of the Little Mermaid, it follows. Shall we call her Ariel for the purposes of this? Yes, that seems. I I think I think in in a in a uh, post feminist world <laughs> that we should we should probably uh, you know thinking about the Bechdel test and stuff. Let's name this mm. bitch. <laughs> she deserves She it. does, doesn't she? But what she goes Fish to woman. Anderson yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Horrific. So yeah. uh, the story of The Little Mermaid goes like this. On her 50th birthday, the mermaid, also a.k.a. Ariel, goes up to the surface and sees a birthday party on a ship and is instantly falls in love with the prince. She decides that she loves him and wants a human soul in order to be with him. So classic love at first sight from a crowded room. But I guess the idea is that because she's not human, she doesn't have a soul. No, that's exactly. Kind that's of sad. Yes, exactly. They don't live 
I think mermaids live forever, but when they're human, they don't. I don't know. I didn't quite understand that that bit of the story. So basically, there is a there is a storm. The ship gets wrecked, and Ariel saves the prince, but the prince can't really like remember being saved by Ariel. Ariel then disappears again and goes back down to the seabed uh, uh, and tells her grandmother about this prince that she's fallen in love with and wants to go to the surface. Um, her grandmother tells her that to obtain a soul, she would need to marry a human man and fall in love with her, with him, with the help of true love's first kiss. I mean, it's very like... So like, so to get a soul, she'd have to convince the prince to marry her yeah. and then he would like he would have to fall in love with her and like that and and true love's kiss is like that's that she that's that's that seals the that deal move. isn't it really yeah, yeah that's it that's basically sign still delivered i'm yours um <laughs> but uh the mermaid is told that no human man would want to marry her because essentially she's a fish girl so our fishy-footed protagonist, <laughs> you're very proud uh, of that. <laughs> brother, uh, dec uh, decides, in spite of this, she will return to the surface uh, for a soul, and more importantly, a boyfriend. She decides to visit <laughs> classic fifteen-year-old uh, teenage hormones. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she decides to visit the sea witch to get a deal to get this perfect life. Teenage hormones, isn't it really? Um, the sea witch offers conditions in return for a potion that she must drink on land, stating that the mermaid needs to fall in uh, to make the prince fall in love with her or she'll perish. I'm talking about the original story here, not the Disney version, because nobody dies in the Disney version. So the so so the sea witch is like I mean I kind of the, the whole the whole point of her going up there is that she wants him to fall like in love with her but the sea witch is like yeah but if you don't You'll then die. you're gonna die yeah, exactly. right she takes the mermaid's voice as payment rendering her mute for the rest of the story and gives her two legs which by all accounts are excruciatingly troublesome uh her fin is ripped in two to create fully formed legs which did you just wince <laughs> mm. <laughs> um which when walking is like a thousand knives under her feet. Eee. So <clears throat> this is where the interesting, slightly interesting um, form of disability comes from. So once the mermaid returns to the surface, she loses her voice, can't sing, can't speak. And essentially she becomes disabled because she can't easily communicate with the humans. She's no longer able to communicate with her mouth and she must uh, must rely on gestures to communicate her needs. That Luckily, the prince guesses what she wants to say most of the time, and sometimes he gets it right, discerning from her gestures what she needs. The mermaid, however, has never had to communicate with her mouth, nor had learning opportunities for it. So her communication is widely ineffective. She can't speak. She doesn't know sign language. She's just pointing randomly at, at stuff where... And Hold on. I think I need to go back. We need to go back and do that bit again because mm -hmm. I think I don't understand. You don't understand. So you said, sorry, you said that she she never had she never had to communicate with her mouth. Do you mean she never had to not communicate 
like she never learned to not communicate with her mouth. Yeah, she never, she never, le- right. she never yeah. learned the the hu- the like, speech, ba- like human speech. Oh, okay. Really, because if you think about it, she's a mermaid. She spends most, she spends most of the time wailing, doesn't she? Is, is that Whoa, what they do? They cool. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to kill that bit out? I don't know. Anyway, um, do you want to go back and do yeah. it again? No, I just I wanted to understand. So, so you so she couldn't. She didn't know the. She didn't know human language yes, exactly. And and even when she was a mermaid, they didn't talk to each not other. really because i think the only the only if you think about the mermaid legend the the only interaction mermaids have with with humans is when sailors are drowning at sea and they pull them back to the seabed to their death and they don't really talk to them they're singing to them do you know okay you know what i mean yeah okay yeah, no, no, i understand that i just it, it sounded like what you were saying was that they didn't like talk to each other as mermaids. Yeah, either. I think that's it's, I it's like dolphins, isn't it? Dolphins talk to one another, but we can't understand them. I heard the found out the coolest dolphin fact the other day. Yeah. So obviously dolphins are kind of up there with some of the most intelligent animals in the uh-huh. world. Um and they they understand language mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of other animals don't. So one of the the things that they'll say about um like we've got you we've both got dogs mm-hmm. and like our dogs understand certain words like dinner or <laughs> sit down or, or Lola <laughs> my the dog we had when um I was a teenager, my brother taught him that fuck off meant to go and lie on his bed. <laughs> but um but the thing that dogs don't understand like the thing about dogs is dogs understand individual words yes they don't understand like they words in a sense no even though i talk to bertie and peanut like yeah. they are 45 yeah. year old men like what do you want <laughs> but um but dolphins understand not only understand language, mm. but they understand that the order of words in a sentence makes a difference. Yes. So you can, if you said to a dolphin, like, go and put the fish in the bowl, they would understand fish that bowl. that is different. Yeah. They would understand that that is different from bring the bowl over to the fish. Yes. Yes, because although it's the same, essentially the same words, mm-hmm. they because they're so intelligent. Mm-hmm. They under whereas you know, if I said to Lola, go and you know, go and put your put your ball down next to your bone, she would not understand the difference between put your bone down next to your ball. Right, she wouldn't understand that difference. But dolphins get the difference that the because of the order that the words are in that they, it means something different. It's like they're they're up there. Basically, we can do that. Dolphins can do that, and I think like gorillas can do that. And clearly, Ariel the Little Mermaid couldn't, so it was <laughs> why she struggled. Yes. So yeah, uh, in the original tale, when the prince falls in love with someone else, her sisters make a deal with the sea witch too. 
she gives them an enchanted knife in exchange for a, their beautiful ocean coloured hair which I think is either green or blue uh, the mermaid must kill the prince to return to the sea as a mermaid she of course being a teenager refuses and and turns into sea foam so she doesn't because she doesn't kill the prince she dies she, she dies yeah, the prince lives and she dies well so, uh, half of me thinking babe is it really worth it like do you know what i mean i certainly wouldn't do it for my boyfriend at 15. no, no absolutely not no way um <laughs> <laughs> bless her it's not even her boyfriend it's just the fella it's a, that she's crushing it it's basically like Aww. having a poster on your bedroom wall and thinking yeah i really love him Oh, honey. No, no, bless her. Uh, of course, in the 1989 Disney version, nobody dies except the villain. Uh, Ariel marries Eric, and they live happily ever after, kind of. In The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea, Ariel struggles to find where she belongs in the world, in land or sea, and is arguably never truly happy. I haven't seen that. No, it went straight to DVD. It's on Disney Plus, though. Oh, yeah. I know what I'm doing uh, this weekend then. Uh. <laughs> On your phone. <laughs> yeah, it, she has a daughter called Melody, apparently. Oh. Um, essentially, <laughs> essentially, what we're discussing here um, in both tales are themes of ableism, internalised ableism, active mutism and representation. Mm. Um, is there a world, is there any uh, disabled adult who didn't at some point as a child relate to part of your world as an adult i can understand why ariel was my favorite basically i want a poster of ariel on my wall um it's the um what i've got behind me i'll make sure that we post yes. it out on the um take a picture of it on on the instance yes. it's a like a pop-up version of alice um so they've got a They've got pop-up versions of the pop art versions of the different, like quite a lot of the, the OG princesses. Uh -huh. I do have to say that Alice is not actually my, my favourite princess. No. Um, I actually really dislike Alice in Wonderland. Do I do. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Alice I don't, don't like it. No, no, it's not, Weird. not for me. Um, it's just, it's just kind of dull and stupid. <laughs> um, yeah. But but obviously i'm alice no mm. my my fave my favorite disney princess is aurora is that that's is that sleeping beauty isn't it yeah yeah ever since i was a just because i think the film is beautiful mm. i can remember ever ever since i was a little kid being like absolutely just amazed by the animation i think that's kind of why i fell in love with them yeah but um, I'm sure they, they. I bet they do an aerial pop up. They probably do. They probably do. I um. I'll find I, it. I have to. I have to be honest here. I only watched The Little Mermaid for the first time about five years ago when uh, a friend, some friends of ours, my mom, me, and some friends of ours and their uh, children uh, came on holiday with us, and they bought Little Mermaid as entertainment. It was either that or who framed roger rabbit and i said oh i've never seen little mermaid so we put it on and i was just like this is a great film why did i never see this in the cinema and was like i really couldn't be bothered but also it was a little bit i think i would have been too young for the cinema really yeah i was gonna say 1989 i don't think i'd want to take a two-year-old no cinema. i went my aladdin was my first film um and again that has a special place in my heart because it's the first time it's the first film i ever saw 
and it's got Robin Williams in it. Um, so yeah, so that's I just, but I just, and I think as cheesy as it sounds, the song "Part of Your World." When you look at like forums and stuff, when they're discussing like their favorite Disney princesses and disabled people are involved in that discussion, um, I think the lyrics of the song kind of you're like yeah i can i can see where she's coming from there because at that age as a kid you're like oh yeah i wish i knew what it was like to walk about a bit now as a as an adult it's it's like the the least important thing i want to do i think that it's the the song's quite sort of indicative of a feeling that i imagine not just disabled people, but uh, most minorities have felt mm. at some point of going, I I want to feel what it's like to have the freedoms yeah. and the privileges that this other, uh, the, what does feel like another world. Mm. I think when you're an outsider, particularly when you're a teenager and sort of a, like those, that young adolescent period where you do feel like very, it just just and when and when your peers have a tendency to exclude you quite a lot like I definitely have had times in my life where I've thought like what would I give up to be able to see mm. me um, too and I guess it's yeah and I think now as an adult I'd go <laughs> nothing do you know what I mean I mean it's it's a really on that, but I think that on a good day, on a bad day when I'm frustrated and want to kick a bin, then like take what you want. Do you know what I mean? But on a good day, I'm like, no, I'm all right. Actually, thanks. And this is this is my this sort of I think is part of my I am a hundred percent on board for the concept behind the social model of disability. Mm. However there are things like there is a you could not change the world enough for me to not have times where not being able to see isn't frustrating yeah. and makes me cross yeah. like the stuff that makes me most cross is if i drop something and i then can't find it i was having a conversation with somebody on twitter recently about like the thing that i always hate is you drop stuff mm. And then when you can't, you're like looking for it and you give up because you can't find it. You've been on your knees feeling around for it for like four, five, six minutes. Mm. And you go, fuck this. I've had enough. I'll find it later. And you walk off. And as you walk away, you kick it and you oh. hear it spin off. And you're just like, I am never finding that. No. That is, I have no idea what direction that's it's gone. gone in. But it's just gone. Yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. But it, it's, there is no amount of, like making adaptations and accessibility that's going to enable me to see no. stuff because it's not just about the size of things for mm. me it's about where stuff is because my like peripheral vision and stuff mm. and and that sort of those sorts of things always happen when I'm like right I've got eight minutes before I've got yeah, to get on my it's bus away, I do not have time you down and you get, yeah like for me it's when I get my coat stuck in my wheel and I can't move yeah for me I think that like the thing that gets me down most about not being able to walk and especially when I'm feeling low anyway is when 
when I realise I've got constant pain, and I say this, I, like I realise I've got constant pain, because I know I've got constant pain all the time, but my brain has done a very clever thing over the years of just being able to go, yep, yeah, don't think about it, don't think, if you don't think about it, if we don't think about it, it's not there. Um, and then it, it will hit me like a freight train, and the pain is so bad that I just feel like a crumpled up piece of paper. That gets me down. And what also gets me down is the fact that the only thing that will relieve me from that pain when it is really bad is the fact that I need to take tablets, medication, and go and lie down in bed. I can have to sometimes go and lie down in bed at four or five o'clock at night because in the evening, because my pain is so bad. Sometimes I have lain in bed and listened to my the rest of my family sat outside enjoying the sunshine and I'm in bed because mm. I can't sit up. I can't sit up for any longer because my back's just gone. No, I clocked, yeah. I clocked off about three hours ago. Why are you still up? Um, that's yeah. the thing that really bothers me. And there is no amount of societal adjustment that will ever fix that. Yeah. And it's in those moments when like, you know, when, when I'm lying awake at night after something like that has happened, or like, like if I drop something in the stream mm. and I can't find it and, you know, there's no one around no. because it just happens to be nobody around to ask. And you kind of go, this is it yeah. now. Like that's, that's my favorite lipstick and I've dropped it. And yeah. it, I know it's only a lipstick, but it was, it's, it's the days that that happens that you then find yourself having, I think those aerial moments, mm. And I think that it is, I think it's it's wrong of us not to talk about that among, in the disabled community. Mm. I think, I understand why a lot of people get really angry and really want to be going, you know, it's, it's a so, disability is a social issue because yes, disability is a social issue. Yeah. However, we are all individuals and we, we all experience our disabilities in different ways every day throughout our yeah. lives and i i can't i find it very hard to believe that there is anyone anybody out there in the world who has a disability who has not at some point gone if you take this away i would give up something huge like i don't i don't know what my what i would do what i would give i up don't know what i would for. i don't know what i would give up for a life of no pain and being able to stay up past <laughs> five o'clock at night. Yeah. And um, it's, it sounds really <laughs> stupid when you like, like what, what would I do? I do feel like Cinderella, just... like <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to go. I'm going to have to drop my shoe and just leave and lie down. It's, yeah. It's, like... it's, I think, I think like, what would, what would I give up to be able to put mascara on mm. And then not have to say to my husband, "Is it smudged? Have I got little like <laughs> black dots all under my yeah. eyes? What would I? What would I give for just the the forty five seconds every morning that I need to take to do yeah. that? Like it's silly, isn't it? I, really, it I, is and it's only silly. sitting here talking to you about it that you go, <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. But we can say it. Does it. sound ridiculous? I feel I, I still genuinely really feel it strongly. Yeah, me too. Honestly, me too. I do, and it's. I mean, if it was something like having, like, all right, for 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 a for a life of no additional pain after five o'clock at night, we're going to take the tip of your little finger, take it, 
You know what I mean? But you, yeah. you just know that if we were with the sea witch, she'd be like, no, I'm going to take uh, <laughs> your ears, possibly your two front teeth, and possibly a toe. Yeah, you know? and it'll be a big toe it as would, well. So it'd be, you know, it'd be, yeah, it'd be something to do with, yeah. So you'd be there, you'd be like, oh, finally, I can walk. And you'd be like, just falling <laughs> over yourself all the time. Yeah, like, 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 just kick you when you're down, eh? Um, oh. there, there's a question for the listeners. <laughs> what would you, what would you give up to be able to be absolutely yeah. fine? Oh, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Do we, do we want to open that can of worms? I was going to say, doesn't it feel like a quite a taboo, taboo question to be asked? Yeah. Like, because I don't want, I don't want to encourage people to go. I hate being disabled. No. I don't want to be disabled. No. But I do think that it is, it is a truth about disability yeah. that that is undeniable. For ninety-seven percent of the time, being disabled is not as bad as society would make you believe. I think. And 97% of the time, being disabled is a social issue. Yes. But for that 3% of the time, and it for me, because I can get angry mm. about social stuff and inaccessibility, and I can I can go, somebody needs to do something about this, and I can I can shout and I can get on my activism. Well, we know what we all know what I do, don't we, Alice? We call a press conference, don't we? Exactly, yeah? exactly. Whereas for that three percent of the time, you just can't do anything. No. You're just helpless. You're just frustrated. No. And ITV yeah. are not going to want to know whether you dropped a lipstick in the middle of the high street at lunchtime, no. are they? Really? Do you know what I mean? No. We have to cause a stink. We're a real stink for it to get. Oh, okay. And, yeah. But but and we can we can do yep. that. Like yep. and I think that there is a time and a we, place for it, isn't there? Well, and it that empowers mm -hmm. us. And I think, but I do think that, again, like it's, it's, it's not, it's not a fun conversation and it's not necessarily a conversation that I think we should like, it's like, don't tell the non-disabled people that we have these conversations. Yeah. Like, don't let them know. <laughs> this is, this is just between yeah. us guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They can't know that actually sometimes it really, like we, we are as sad it's like, and pissed off about it's it. It's like Ross and Friends where he has a meltdown that Joey and Rachel are together. And he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine all the time, the whole episode. <laughs> but actually, he's not fine. He's very drunk in the corner going, yeah. I'm really sad. Uh, <laughs> we're fine, it's fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. But he is, he's, I think to, to, to anybody who sits there and goes, no, I'm absolutely fine with this whole disability game it's abs yeah this is what this is what i always wanted is a liar um yeah. and i will fight anybody who says otherwise uh because no nobody nobody feels like that do you know what i mean and like you say it's those that aerial moment of i wish i could be part of your world yeah you know exactly that's what i think as as an adult watching little mermaid for the first time i went oh okay yeah oh that's a big that's a big kind of word there <laughs> thanks yeah. i'm having a bit of a crisis over here crying like <laughs> yeah I understand. uh yeah so uh in the original little mermaid uh, she willingly sacrifices her family her body parts her voice and her life for a human prince who never returns her love 
and is unconsciously shut out of their active social circles because she's mute, strange and an object of pity. She's also seen as a bit of a lesser person um, and because she's seen as strange and a bit weird, she's used as entertainment and is encouraged to dance for people at parties, oh God, really? despite the fact that her feet are killing her uh, because oh. she stood on knives, remember? remember? Oh, that's nasty. Mm-hmm. The prince uh, is callous. For a moment, we are tempted, uh, tempted to sympathise with him for uh, being oblivious to her love and simply blame the mermaid for not trying hard enough to prove her worth. But on closer reading, it is evident that unlike the Disney adaptation, the prince really makes no effort to understand her body language. Well, and you know, the thing that I would say about love is that love is not you don't if you if you love someone you don't spend your time trying to prove your worth to them if someone loves you they don't need you to do that so it is that you know he obviously just just sees her as an object Mm -hmm. there's no because otherwise you know she's a she's a a thing that has to prove that she's worth having around and nobody we're here to tell you that nobody should make, make you prove to them that you're worth having around at all, ever. And if you feel like that, get out. Uh, it's not healthy. Um, no. No, that's not no. what love is. No. I feel, I feel like Sally Jesse Raphael. Uh, <laughs> the... Jesus Christ, that's, that's quite the... Uh, not really like modern pop culture reference. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to be like, who the hell is Sally Jesse Raphael? I was going to say. Uh, I Google it, gang. Yeah, yeah. She was a, uh, she was, she had like a talk show, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. And she was like, a bit like talk show slash Trisha Goddard slash Vanessa Feltz type person back in the 80s yeah. and 90s. I don't know why. I'm, I'm just, I'm really, I really enjoy, you do this quite a lot where you'll just be like, you'll just make a reference and I'm like, Lucy, <laughs> that reference is like 27 oh, years yeah. old. <laughs> I can remember when we got our first preview telly, they used to put Sally Jesse Raphael on all the time and I loved it. She was, I loved it. She looked like a cross between uh, uh, Chucky and uh, Deirdre Barlow, really. <laughs> That that's very offensive to Sally Jesse Raphael. I don't know. Sorry, Sally, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, so she he really makes no attempt to understand Ariel's body language. But in the Disney version, he obviously does make an attempt to understand her body language because in the song Kiss the Girl, they seem taking her on dates and like helping her to start like she's pointing at stuff. He's like, Oh yes, that's the that's the French bakery over there, despite being in, like, Finland. I don't know why there's a French bakery in Finland. I don't know. Um, Finland could be multicultural. Maybe, yeah, but, I mean, food. like, here's a baguette <laughs> from Paris. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so so in the Disney version of obviously being a little bit more palatable, the, the prince is nice and uh, is nicer to Ariel than in the original story um it, it got me thinking that is this is is this a sign of entitlement on his part 
uh, from the original story. Is it really the case that as an able-bodied prince, he is the normative standard that others should aspire to look at? Um, I mean, it's it's rich, white, non-disabled, mm -hmm. cisgender man isn't it yep. so of course that's what everyone should of want course to uh he is said in the original story to love the mermaid like a child and as we know unless he married her she could not receive an immortal soul uh Im immortal is she, is she will she be immortal no no he, she, she will not have a mortal, mortal soul. soul i don't know it's immortal immortal i'm getting confused um so in his eyes, her disability or the otherness of her makes her unattractive. Essentially, uh, I came to the conclusion that ableism it leads to the death of the Little Mermaid. Really? Yeah. Society likes to infantilise uh, disabled people and literature like this has helped entrench this in society creating barriers for many to finding meaningful loving relationships and acceptance from others well and you literally just said that he sees her as a child mm. he loves her like a child not like a an equal or romantic partner no. no exactly and this is this is the thing isn't it you you often see don't you like stories on television about disabled people finding love and they're like, and this is Graham who married Emily, who who has got a disability. Oh, isn't he a hero? She, it must be yeah, so isn't that nice to be Graham. It must be so horrible for Graham, who is has to take care of this burden of a woman. Mm. And you see it all the time, and you just think, if this was any other story, if this was a a, a non-disabled woman and a non-disabled man, there is no way that you would get this type of language this type of narrative with with a with two people who met and fell in love and got married or met yeah. fell in love and got engaged or moved in together you wouldn't get it and if you did there would be complaints to ofcom left right and center because you'd be like hang on a minute what what why why are you not also featuring Margaret and Dennis who've been married 75 years and are non-disabled and isn't it great? That's what it is. It's like, oh, look at them. And yeah, it's it and it's the like it's it's not just that, oh well, we should be grateful because somebody wants to be with us, no. but it's the like, especially when looking at the little mermaid, like, oh well, isn't he a good person for for being with her? It's not it's not an equal relationship no, no. and, and, and the, you know in the original story it's like ugh, like why would he want to go why would he want to fall in love with her he's just going to go for the he's a prince he's a prince why would he why, want to fall in love with her falling with fish girl like ugh. <laughs> i bet she's all wet and scaly all the time it's like splash isn't it it's the um it, it's it's it does make me think of that horrible uh joke that you see like like sort of lads 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 guys ask of the like if you had to date a mermaid like yeah what what kind of mermaid do you want like fish tail and like woman's top, top half, half. Yeah, the traditional or, the traditional mermaid yeah, yeah. or the or women's bottom half and fish top because you know what I mean, I think the the point of the joke is where are you supposed to put your dick if it's uh, a <laughs> Where's the blowhole? 
Yeah, exactly. You know? um, but yeah, it, it, I just think <laughs> you're laughing at. Me. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the the tangents <laughs> that we go on, the conversations that we have yeah. on this show. I forget. I, do you know? I, lo- I love. Life. I love this podcast. I really do. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just the the whole the whole kind of this is what fables for, isn't it? Really pointing out to you that that you know these tropes are not new and they're in oh, i thought you would <laughs> not, not about black holes about... no <laughs> <laughs> that's what fables really all about it's talking about where a man's gonna put <laughs> that's that's another mini series i was gonna say that's a different that's yeah. a different podcast all together we might have to start a new podcast in its entirety for that um <laughs> I don't think that's a podcast no. I want to be involved in, no, I'll be honest. We're going to distance ourselves from that idea. Thank you. Um, yeah, and the fact that, that, you know, these ableist tropes are not new and keep being, mm. it's it's partly, it's partly the, 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 the damage has already been done, hasn't it, really? Yeah. I think. Yeah, like this stuff's been around such a long time. There's no getting rid of like, it. <laughs> that stain is set. You see, you say that. I don't. I. I think. I think that we should keep pushing against mm-hmm. it because of it. I just think it, the fact that it's been around so long, it is really deeply entrenched. You have to really dig far down to pull those roots out. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, that's again, that's part of what this fabled is about: is us kind of pointing them out and challenging those tropes mm-hmm. so that we can start pulling them out. Because I think. You know, yeah. I think enough if enough people do it, and it enough voices. You know, I mean, I going back to to the last um, fable episode that I did. We did about changelings, and I we talked about how the term "away with the fairies" actually comes from changeling mm. children and the 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 connotations of having a disability or not not being quote unquote altogether with it um, mm. is 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 in relation to people who may have the disabilities and once you know that it's very hard to forget it several people have said to me oh sorry i was away with the fairies and i'm like <laughs> you don't know what that means do you? Where, where did that come from that kind of thing mm-hmm. you do kind of feel a little bit smug when you know this stuff so i hope that um other people listening feel the same yeah. way really yeah, and I think that by providing, like, pointing the stuff out to people as well, one of the things that we can do is encourage people to change the the language they use, yeah. and you know, even stuff like you, if you know that something is a poor representation, if you know that that say, for example, um, Sia's movie music. Yeah. Like you can not give Sia your money yeah. by not watching that and not listening to her songs anymore because you know that she participated in and contributed to like discrimination. So it I think that that is the good thing about these episodes and these kind of conversations is that that you we can educate people so that they can not just be kind of smug about it but can actually and do it, yeah and it's, like, it's, it's a case of you know if you feel as strongly as we do about this it's only, it only takes slight little slight little changes in your language or your behavior to go actually i'm going to try and stop i'm going to try and change my behavior so it's not as mm. hurtful and harmful 
to people who, you know, consider this offensive. Yeah, I mean, we've said it ourselves, you know, a million times that there are things that other guests have pointed mm-hmm. out to us, that disability Twitter has pointed out to us that we've said, language we've used, that we've never realised that is offensive no. or, um, you know, that that we, we know now. Mm-hmm. And that's partly from, like, one of the things we've talked about on the show before is the the way that disabled people always have to educate other people about it and that that so much of our time and so many of our spoons as individuals is spent on going no this is what it's really like and at least with us having a platform like this maybe we can save people a little bit of their spoons and people could just be like you know what fucking go and listen to to alice and lucy they'll go on a long <laughs> ramble about it but they'll get their point across Eventually, in the end. it'll take an hour and a half but you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, so going back to ariel and the little mermaids uh you can always count on disney to sprinkle a bit of magic there are people disabled people i'm talking about here who see themselves in the disney princess ariel the portrayal of her longing to be quote-unquote normal and wandering free is something I can completely understand and have experienced as a disabled child and a young, a young adult. Of course, Disney is for kids. And as an adult, I can clearly see that some of the themes and songs from the classic animation may have strains of internalised ableism, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. It shows young children that they are not alone and that these emotions, it's okay to feel these emotions. Um, 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 <laughs> it's okay to feel these emotions. Which is exactly what we were saying yeah. earlier, is that you can't, you cannot deny that no. that we, that disabled people feel these emotions. And I think that's really important yeah. to put out there. And I think as well, it, it for me, it's important to, to instill in children, in young people with disabilities, that it's important to feel pride of who you are and not ashamed of being different. But it's also so important to be able to take a step back when you feel tired and go, do you know what? This is a bit, this is a bit rubbish, actually. Well, and it's, I, I have talked before about how bad my relationship with my disability was as a a teenager and a young person mm. and for me it was i was so desperate to fit mm. in and feel the same as my peers and quote unquote normal that i really hated my disability and my disabled self i was really you know i i would have cut it out of myself if i could i had a real visceral um bad relationship with it and and i think that one of the things that that about encouraging people to un- understand and recognize and have conversations about the bad feelings that you may have as a disabled person is really important because yeah. one of the things that i really felt as a as a child was you know my parents in an attempt to try and support me as a disabled person would always be like it doesn't matter that you're disabled you can do anything you want we believe in you 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 know you can still succeed in any way that you want however when i came across a social barrier or you know a physical barrier sometimes because of my sight mm. like i i really struggled to to be okay to to go well that 
that's a social barrier mm. because and and accept those because I was I was being told by my family and my parents you can do anything but then when I couldn't do anything it felt like I was well this must be my fault this must be something I'm doing wrong mm. whereas actually if it if and it's not my parents fault no. you know they they didn't know they'd never had experience of disability themselves they didn't know what that feeling was that I was having they didn't know to that that feeling existed but if they had been able to go you can do anything you want and we will support you to do anything you want but you know if it's hard to do the thing you want to do because you're disabled that's that's also okay okay that's not your fault and I think it's really important to have those conversations with children because otherwise we do internalize it we 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 and we attack ourselves with ableism instead of recognizing that it's a almost like a fact of life and that you know that you need to get support for it and and that it's okay to feel those emotions and those frustrations sometimes i know that that i think like i think I didn't really understand what internalised ableism was really until Mm. I started doing this podcast. And it was actually the episode with Jem Turner when we talked about ableism and and what it, what internalised ableism meant because I'd never really spoken to anybody when I was at school and stuff. We never really spoke about ableism. I can't ever really remember talking about ableism to my friends as a school kid um and then obviously i went to a mainstream college and university so and we now never really had that discussion about i didn't really know what ableism was then either it's only in later mm. life i've discovered that ableism is actually a thing because mm. I, like a lot of people i went you know there's racism ageism sexism of course there'll be ableism but it wasn't a term that i'd ever heard before and it's only through doing this podcast that I've kind of accepted that yes, internalized ableism is a bad thing. And yes, I have now developed strategies of talking about how I feel, particularly with mm. you, Alice, you know, there are days where mm. I, we have, I ring you and we have a good old moan about the world. And then you go, go, go and sit down and have a gin and it, it works. It's fine. It's getting it off your chest with somebody who understands what it's like, yeah. isn't it? And that's exactly. why I think the, there is such an importance to have disabled friendships because they understand you as a disabled person on another level that nobody else can really. And even though your disability is vastly different to mine, Alice, you have a very clever way of being able to go, no, I, I can, I completely understand that. You know, you don't know exactly what it's like, but you, you are completely empathetic, and you go, no, I, I get you, I get you, I know exactly why you're cross about Thank this, you, Lucy. You know, and it makes me feel better. Do you know what I mean? To have that somebody there that goes, no, yeah, okay, I get, I get you. Well, and I think it's it's because what I understand is the emotions. Yeah. Like I may not understand the actual experience and circumstances but i know what it's like to to have that internalized ableism i absolutely know what that feels like Mm. and how that makes you feel about yourself yeah Yeah. and i think that 
and again like going back to the little mermaid i think that that's one of the reasons why it's really important to have these conversations with children mm -hmm. because if i've had if if i'd had those kind of conversations if i'd had a the relationship that we have if i'd had that as a young person i would have been much happier about speaking up about what i needed from other people i would have been much less willing to take the shit from like systems and institutions that were you know not meeting my needs i would have been you know much more like no i'm not going to stand here and let you talk to me in the street about it like the way you're talking to mm -hmm. me and things like that it but but because of that internalized ableism i was almost afraid to kind of to to touch it you know and talk about those talk about my negative experience of being disabled because i was so and and that's why i think again this sort of my the problem that I have with the sort of traditional approach to the social model is that a lot of kind of social model campaigners mm. talk about it, it. The focus is very much on, on the outside world. And I think that, that yes, internalized ableism does in large part happen because the outside world is telling us that being disabled is not a good thing and is making the world inaccessible to us. But you can't ignore the inner feelings and experiences of individuals, yeah. because at the end of the day, if we feel bad about being disabled, then we don't, we, we can't have the emotional and mental capacity to make, to fight for the changes. Yeah. And And that's the thing, I mean, it is an emotional fight, I think, either subconsciously or consciously. Mm. Every day, subconsciously, is an emo it is an emotional, spirited fight to go. No, it's all right. We'll keep going. We'll keep going today. We'll keep going today. And then, and then you have the drip, drip feed of. Oh, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. And then all of a sudden, I always say that once every five years. I do a full Ned Flanders. If you've ever seen the episode of The Simpsons where he just completely loses it because he's such a nice guy all the time and he's absolutely fine, and then all of a sudden he just loses it uh, and he, he gets he gets dragged off and you know sectioned and everything he calms himself down, everything's all right again. And I feel like sometimes I will just blow up, and it's the tiniest little thing that sets me off. And it's when people turn around and go, "Oh, what's up with you?" Like this, and I'm like, "I'll tell you what's up with me. I'm disabled. I can't walk for one." Like, and then. You know, I'm fine. Give it, give me an evening and calm down. I'm all right. But it's just like I know I felt so much better when I learned about ableism. And yeah. you know, I I always say to people when they say to me, "What, what's your favorite thing about the podcast? Doing the podcast?" I always say it's making me a better disabled person. Not for just not for just the disabled community, but for me as a person. It's made yeah. me stop and think about okay yeah i can i can see that and i can see why this is a this has caused me so much aggro for i was just going to say that this this show has helped me not only go well that i i can't i should not say that because saying that is offensive to other people or i should be more mindful of this access issue that you know other people within the community experience but also it has also helped me to recognize 
the the times where something happens or there's a thought in my head that and I go that that's internalized ableism and now I that's and that's why I feel shit the first time it happened to me when in a scenario where I could actually go oh that's internalized ableism that is that is it was when we couldn't go and see Rosie Jones at the comedy festival and I felt yeah. so guilty because it was the reason we couldn't go was because of me and yeah. I spoke I said to you I feel so guilty and you said to me Lucy it's not it's, this isn't you this is you you believe it is you but is it isn't you this is because they have put the gig on in a venue yeah. with stairs and this is not your fault I think one of the things that was really interesting about that and we I'm really glad we did the episode talking about that. Uh, I think we did it at the right time as well. If we'd have sat yeah. on it, we'd have calmed down and we'd have been all oh, very nicey nicey about it. But I think I think the reason the reason that episode is is actually one of I think one of our most popular is because we have a really frank conversation about the emotional impact that inaccessibility has on us. And I can remember saying to you know, you said I feel like this is my fault because yeah. I'm the one who can't get down the stairs. And I said, I feel like this is my fault because as a disabled and, you know, another disabled person, I should have been more aware of your access needs. Whereas actually the issue was that there was a fucking organization that decided to put a disabled performer it's gig on in an in a in and i think space. the second kick in the teeth was the fact that the performer has that like themselves didn't there was nothing there was no oh sorry about that or even acknowledgement of hey did you know this is a problem do you know what i mean not that that would well, not, not that that would have done anything but i think it would have i think i think that that there's there's a lot of com not complexity there's a lot that that whole issue is a bit of an onion regarding that specific mm. performer because we've also had um been contacted by people who heard that episode who have said this has happened to us before when we've been hoping to go and see that performer mm. and one listener in particular told us that they reached out to the performer's agent and the agent said that um if rosie jones didn't perform in inaccessible venues then she'd never perform yeah. and it's I, there there is a there is a debate to be had about whether um solidarity within the disabled you know with your fellow disabled people about not performing in inaccessible venues is outweighed by being a disabled person in public you know well known mm -hmm. and and flying that disabled flag i they've made their choice i think perhaps i might have made a different choice <laughs> i think we, me and you both babe to be fair <laughs> but but i mean i get it like if if they're saying well it, she'd never play gigs if she didn't perform in inaccessible venues then she never would have achieved the no the notoriety and the, I do, the fame uh, that and she's I, got. I understand and, that bit but now you are at a level where you have got fame and notoriety, wouldn't you go, mm. actually, let's pay it back? Yeah, that's that's my feelings yeah. about it. Um, but, you know, everybody makes their own choices. But, and... but yeah, go, so going back to that whole debacle, that was the first time I realised what internalised 
you know, I, I could identify that that was internalized ableism and it was my brain yeah. going, everybody hates you because you're disabled. That, it, <laughs> and it, it picks on me. Oh, that, that's what I always say. It picks my, my internalized ableism sometimes sits very quietly in the corner behaving itself. And other times, especially when I'm stressed or when I'm worried about something or anxious, that, that it gets, decides to have a party in the corner and starts to get a bit rowdy and a bit loud and gets louder and louder and louder. Be, it, does, before... yeah, it does feel a little bit like there's someone in the corner sometimes poking me with a stick going, you know, that's because you're blind. Yeah. You know, that's what you can't do that. Cause you know, everybody like, hates you because you can't walk. Yeah. 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 But why are you even trying? You can like a no. bit do that. You're blind. And we, all, we, we knew you were going to, we knew you were going to mess up that because you're disabled and you're a bit spazzy yeah. and stupid. That exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. And then yeah. why did you even bother? Like, what were you thinking? You can't do that. You're blind. You can't, you can't, you can't turn around to somebody who doesn't really understand ableism or internalized ableism and go, yeah, it's just a voice in my head because they would go, I was okay. going to say, all right, let's. I, I thought I thought you were going to say that you can't turn around to the voice in your head and be like Fuck off in the middle of the street because <laughs> no, yeah. it makes people worry. Yeah, if you say the voices in my head are telling me I'm a very bad person, they'd be like, okay, let's call somebody for you. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it's it's. I just found the whole. But I, I always go down a rabbit hole when it comes to the Little Mermaid. Uh, when it comes to the Little Mermaid, no, no, when it comes to Fable episodes, because you, have the, you end up starting on one track and then ending up down four or five others. But it, it, it made me, re you know, it made me open my eyes to how I deal with ableism, how I deal with internalised ableism towards myself. And the, inter the, the thing about internalised ableism is that I hate it because... I know, I hope I am a good person, a good friend, uh, but sometimes that voice in your head makes you go, everybody hates you, everybody hates you, everybody really hates you, they only tolerate you, um, and they're only friends with you because you've got a blue badge and can park right outside Tesco, that kind of See, thing. Um, I feel like this episode <laughs> is a real insight into both of our, our brains, sort of yeah, personal mental health yeah. um, issues. It's fine yeah. though, we're, we're fine. <laughs> Back to the... Well, you're, you're, I think it's interesting, you're sitting there being very like, people don't like me. That's that's what your issues are. You're worried about people not liking you. Yeah. Which is absolutely, I, from knowing you and talking to you, yeah, 100%, your biggest worry is that people don't yeah. like you. Constantly. So much so that I sometimes say to you, Lucy, you're too nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, you said, I let, let some people don't like you let some people not like you some people are dicks you don't want to like you anyway. <laughs> we were talking about somebody who will remain nameless for various reasons uh the other day um and i said i'm not standing for this i'm not standing for being you know treated anything less than what i expect and respect and all this kind of stuff <laughs> and i was just like yes good girl Lucy, because you're too nice <laughs> i was like yeah, thanks, Ben. <laughs> um, whereas my my what I've really picked up on the, what I've been saying in this episode about my internalized stabilism is about not being able to do stuff and not succeeding at stuff. I well, think, I think it's been a very interesting. I think as well there is there is an element of oh, like I can't. It, it, I, the thing that gets me is how long it takes me to do simple tasks. So getting in the shower, getting up going for a wee in the middle of the night takes me 15 minutes of timed it the other day that's really annoying because the 15 minute window of you feeling sleepy is gone by the time you get mm. back in bed and it's like it's the the, the the amount of time 
stuff takes me to do when I'm on my like if I do it independently it takes me longer if I've got somebody to help me it's dead quick but I can't do it independently then if I've got if somebody's helping me I'm not doing it independently um and I always like to try and be as independent as possible but there are times where you're like I can't I can't I can't be asked today you know what I mean and Mm. and that is I can't be asked because it takes too long and the other a few weeks ago I actually felt cross about the fact that I was disabled just just generally cross that I was disabled but again it's internalized ableism because everything was taking me too long I was tired I was hot I was grumpy I had a cry I think I told you I had a cry I mean it's no surprise when I tell you I have a cry nobody says anything these days I was gonna say I don't even don't even comment no, on it cry again. Worth it. she had a cry again it's fine she's just having a crisis it's, it's like, like oh it's 445 <laughs> on the Tuesday this is my <laughs> yeah again for the fourth time today um but yeah it's just it's, there are times where you think oh god or what i tend to do is swear at inanimate objects now and i think that's it's knowing you alice to be fair i think that's your <laughs> i am um, closing the shower curtain and it won't put like i'm pulling it and it's not moving fuck's sake like I, I drop like everything on the floor. Fuck, bloody asshole! Like <laughs> just calling stuff assholes all the time helps. Try it; it helps. Um, uh, my uh, my my favorite thing to do at the moment is uh, <laughs> because because my eyes twitch yeah. um, quite often, and because I've also got a just low blood pressure. Um, if I turn around too quickly, if I'm standing up and like sort of turn to leave a room yeah. or something. Um, I lose my balance. My balance is really bad, mm-hmm. and so my thing at the minute is I keep walking like I'll I'll I'll, I'll sort of stumble into a wall or something, and I keep going to my husband. Would you stop moving the fucking walls in this house, please? <laughs> Why is that really inconvenient? <laughs> I uh, I keep running over my mum's shoes in the door. She keeps leaving her shoes in the doorway of the sitting room where we sit most of the time and I, i've just got to the point now where i run over them just to make a point if you leave your shoes in the way i will run over them because they shouldn't be there like move them she's like sorry i left my shoe there again didn't i yes you did move them um but yeah so i just there are days where you get very just irritated by things and it's the slightest thing will set you off but um yeah it's i think it's so important you know the the little mermaid I think shows kids that it's uh, the the having a a fulfilling life is is never not possible. Do you know what I mean? What happened? It's been such a long time since I've seen the the Disney version. What happens at the end of the Disney version? Does she stay on land with her legs? Uh, well, so she 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 her father finds out that she's basically gone to the surface. And he's been fraternising with the enemy, uh, and and it's clear that that in the second film, The Little Mermaid to Return to the Sea, it is all explains that uh, the reason why her father hates humans is because her mother was killed by humans. Right. So therefore, there's a bit backstory there. Um, she basically Ursula gets a bob on herself and starts a big storm in the sea and uh takes try trident tried trident on her father in the place of yeah, ariel yeah. and he's a little like 
shrimpy worm thing. And I was like, well, well, well. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah And yeah. then she uh, she ends up coming back to the sea and is missing Eric so much that um, he, I can't exactly remember whether the father just gives her like a locket or something, uh, at, which means that um, she can be, live as a human. But then Ariel stabs Ursula in the stomach. And so it, as the sea witch, she dies, basically. It's the sea right. witch that dies, not Ariel or yeah, yeah, the yeah. father I person. Just... The father person? So... The father. <laughs> yeah. So... So she she does she lives as a human. Yeah, but in the Little Mermaid to Return to the Sea, she um, uh, is not as happy because the grass is always greener, isn't it? You see, mm -hmm. uh, she is not as happy as she thought she was, and she's trying to find her identity both as a mother and a human, and can't doesn't really feel at home in the sea because she's obviously got a daughter and a husband but also doesn't really feel at home on land because she's a mermaid essentially do you know what i mean mm -hmm. so she could there's no real happy place for ariel how does that how does that movie end i don't know uh because i, I only like got the synopsis so i shall okay. watch the end of the little mermaid too return to the sea and report back to you okay on okay little mermaid. <laughs> but i think it might be a little bit bit shit because it's it's straight to home video but i should do i shall do that for you because that's what my friendship our friendship means to me alice so i will watch thank you little mermaid too return to the shit see even if it is shit just so, so i just i'm just thinking like if we're talking about the little mermaid as kind of allegorical of um disability and internalized ableism how her story ends is obviously kind of relevant well like what in the original she, or in well just i mean well no it, i mean in the original like where she's just fucking dead now so you know we can't she can't she can't be a mermaid because that's not good enough she can't be a uh disabled human because that's not good enough so, so she would now. rather die yeah. yeah um but in just thinking in terms of the disney one like you almost for me i feel like the the story needs to end with she has the ability to have both mm. like what's the what's the, the the real true happy ending is this is someone who can be a mermaid be the body she was born into um but also have love. Like Daryl Hannah in Splash, I think. Did, was it, did, didn't she? she? Oh, yeah. She's a mermaid, isn't yeah. she? And you want the little mermaid with the ending of Daryl Hannah in Splash, basically, is what you want. They, again, again, lose super, super, like, timely, <laughs> up-to-date, <laughs> modern reference there with Splash, <laughs> which is like 1993 What can I say? I live in 1905. What can I say? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I mean, Disney, won't, Disney would never have done that anyway because it was 1989 and mm. they, they are a little bit, still a little bit scared of talking about I mean, disability in, I mean, Finding Nemo uh, has a gimpy fin. Uh, there, there's, we're still, I mean, generally across the board of Disney, there's still work to be done about uh, repping minorities. Yes. So. But never mind, they've got a mouse. 
um you know what i mean it's it's i mean he's basically a person in reverse blackface so that's that's um, problematic in of itself i've never thought about that but yes you, you're right there um yeah it's um but i'd never i I think it may, doing this episode may possibly have ruined The Little Mermaid for me, even if it's the Disney version, a little bit. So you're going you're, you're gonna to stop calling yourself a mermaid? No, I'm not, because I like the water. I think I am. I was a mermaid. I like water. I like being on water, in water, by water, just splashing about, basically. Um, I'm not a very good swimmer. Well, mum says I am considering my legs don't work my legs don't work exactly you see and what i am planned to do in my old age is get one of those blankets that look like a mermaid tail and just sit yeah. there fooling all the kids going yeah i'm a mermaid which don't tell anybody just, <laughs> just wind them up a bit you know never lose your sense of humor yeah that's um i don't understand why you're waiting till your old well, age no, i could do that couldn't i know yeah. I could, show, could do that for my birthday, like stand on the edge of the road with I'm the Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, yes, that's the Little Mermaid for you. No, that's interesting. I'm glad I've ruined uh, it for, for my, I hope I've not ruined it for you like it's ruined it for me. Also, Hans Christian Andersen is an ass. Yeah, you mentioned that before we started recording. Any particular reason? He, you know, he was a, he was a great believer in telling children that the natural order of things is you're all right if you're healthy and if you're not, you're a bit weird and otherly. Okay, which I think is a little bit. I mean, back in them days, it was like eighteen. What was it? Eighteen twenty something. I don't know, Lucy. You're remember. the one who did the research. No, 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 no. Let me have a look. Eighteen thirty-six. You know, yeah. so it's not it's not like a modern day kind of witch hunt of he's a horrible, terrible man. But at the same time, you're like, oh, okay, you're a bit, yeah. You're going to, he, hey, you know, by writing new stories, he's basically entrenched the, the yeah, belief, I mean, hasn't he? I, I think, I think Ooh, you're that's weird. not, <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising that um, a 19th century male author was not <laughs> writing progressive fiction yeah. uh, that well represented diversity and minorities. No. But um, yeah, I still find it fascinating, and that because I was I was getting to like halfway down my research, thinking there is not much disability in here, <laughs> and then I was like, aha, I've got it. But yeah, it it's opened up. A, I think it's been a really good discussion about you know just because it doesn't necessarily refer to disability, it can point out ableism and that kind of thing. And yeah, I think I think that was, that was an interesting episode, and I think. Um hopefully you guys found it interesting if you did find it interesting you know the drill please leave us a review on apple podcasts or spotify because reviews are a really important um way of helping you know of, of boosting podcasts by leaving good like positive reviews five star ratings um it boosts us up and make sure that we are recommended to other people with similar listening habits to you and also so new audience it makes me very happy to read that it you like it does. and it's very it very surprising it's like oh there's somebody said nice things uh so thank you very much for that if, if yeah. you could do that that we would love you forever 
Um, yeah, Lucy. Lucy does need that uh, reaffirmation from others, as we we said. She needs people to like her. I I don't care, <laughs> but um, it would be great. I if thought you were going to say I don't like her. Anyway. <laughs> I don't like. I can't stand that. Um... Oh yeah, no. I'm I'm only in this for the big bucks that we're making off of it. Oh, can't yeah. actually stand you, Lucy. Yeah. Nine pound fifty, <laughs> if that. I was going to say, we're not even making fucking £9.50. I don't know where you've got that from. I just picked... This is costing us. <laughs> Listen, I'm terrible with numbers. Don't give me the don't give me the balance sheet. Um, so if you guys want more myths um, in your lives, then go back and listen to our changing episode. We've also got an episode about odin the norse mythical norse god if you want more ableism in your lives then um i mean just go outside but if you, <laughs> yeah if you want more podcasts about ableism in your lives we uh had a great chat with jem turner back in august last year she is brilliant we absolutely adore jem um and that was a really interesting episode i think that's everything from us for this week mm, i think so we'll see you guys next time we will bye bye thanks for listening to the label podcast if you like the show you can rate review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at labeled pod this episode was edited by adam hall our music was by Maisie crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved 